This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Rob Tombrella is a pastor at Grace Church and the speaker on this message. Man, it's good to see everybody. Good to be together, right? All right, my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are new to the church, just want to welcome you in particular. Take your Bibles, if you could, and turn in your Bibles to the fifth book in the New Testament. It's a book called Acts. We've been in a very long series, and we're wrapping up this series today. And we're going to be looking at the 27th chapter and the 28th chapter in the book of Acts. So it's the fifth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. While you're turning there, uh, let me make a statement I hope resonates with you. Do you believe that love can make you bold? I'm talking about like crazy bold. Has love ever made you do something that was a little bit crazy? A little bit outside the box? A little bit unplanned? Well, sure you have. Love makes you bold. The reason sophisticated people put on war paint in 15 degree below weather and scream until they can't talk the next day for their team is the same reason that grown men cry like babies when they hold their first one. Same reason rational people spend hundreds of dollars at Christmas time. It's because love makes us bold. And the clearest proof of that is what the Bible says happens when ordinary people like you and me come under the influence of God's love. The book of Acts has showed us for over 30 weeks That the gospel of God's love in Jesus Christ makes ordinary people crazy bold. I don't know if that's grammatically accurate, but I think that's theologically accurate. Crazy bold. So we're going to look at the next two chapters, the final two chapters, and see how Paul finishes out. uh, This this part in the book of Acts, let's pray. Father, we ask that that you would bring the joy that is indescribable and full of glory through your word. Help us to see what you would have us to see and to feel the way we're supposed to feel about it and help us to have the conviction and the will to make decisions, Lord, that are in line and in keeping with this great calling and this great thing that you have captivated us with in the love of God through Jesus Christ. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you might be asking, what do I mean by crazy bold? How crazy are we talking about? Well, I think we can measure boldness by the difficulty or the adversity that it's willing to overcome. I think you can measure passion that way and boldness. Boldness is sometimes hard to describe, but you can sometimes measure it by the difficulty it overcomes. So as we look at these last two chapters, there are three difficulties that show up. And uh, the gospel overcomes these difficulties. So specifically, the difficulty of storms, the difficulties of discouragement, and the difficulties of rejection. The gospel of God's love makes the early church bold in the face of these things. So let's look first at storms. And for this section, it's a lot of reading. I'm going to be reading 
all the way through one chapter and a part of the way into another one. So can everybody put your your reading hats on as I read through chapter 27. And you're going to be be brought right on board of a ship that's going to be moving like this. Some of you are going to get seasick as I read this. The, the detail is dramatic. Listen for words like difficulty and danger. And uh, listen for the detail. It's incredible. So... Back up one verse, and and we'll remember where we left off last week. Agrippa said to Festus, this man, who's Paul, could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So (laughs) Paul appeals to Caesar, and to Caesar he's going to go. And uh, he's on his way to Rome. And you didn't just take a taxi or jump on a plane back then. You got on a boat, a very risky boat, and you set sail. So this is where chapter 27 starts off. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. So a lot of detail already. Right out of the gate, we're getting historical characters being introduced to us. Verse 3 says, The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Paul's got a reputation even as a prisoner. Remember, we looked at last week that God positions us and commissions us, that he puts a boundary around us. And sometimes we think that that's a, that's a prison sentence, but for Paul, it's an opportunity. So look at this. He's, he's being uh, free to go to his friends and be cared for, even as a prisoner. Verse 4 says, And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea, Along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus, and as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Verse 9. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. So Paul gathers these people together, and he has such a reputation among the people on board, both the sailors, the guards, everybody, that they give him a hearing, they give him an audience, and they lean forward to how he's going to instruct them. And he's a leader in an environment where he's not uh, supposed to be a leader in. And yet God's given him an incredible platform amidst much difficulty as they're making this voyage. And he tells them bad news. I perceive that the voyage is not going to go well. 
not only the, the cargo we're going to miss, the ship is going to be uh, hurt, but it's going to be difficult with our lives as well. Verse 11 says, But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than what Paul said. That will soon change. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So this is what journeys were like back in this time. Uh, you had to consider seasons. So you didn't just jump on a plane anytime you went. You had to consider what season we we're in. And you never sailed in wintertime. So this is right around fall. And they are trying to make the journey to Rome before fall ends. They don't want to be out at sea at winter. That never goes well for anybody. It's extremely dangerous. So they've got to find a place to winter if they can't get all the way to Rome. Well, notice what happens. This huge storm. Verse 13 says, Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, I don't even know how to say that, Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground onto Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. That means they just get rid of it. They're just chunking things overboard. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. So they know this ship and the cargo is going down. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, that means an extremely violent storm is upon us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. So when you can't see the sun or the stars on a boat in, in these days, you know, that was fatal. That was a fatal predicament that you were in. And all hope, in verse 20 says, is lost at this point. Verse 21 says, Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them, and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. I mean, he's not trying to uh, discourage them. He's trying to win more trust from the audience he already has. And he says, you should have listened to me. Verse 22 says, yet now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life. Among you. That's a pretty bold statement that he gives to this crew, this 100, 200 people crew. But only of the ship. What's, what, where's his confidence? Verse 23. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. Paul had a reputation on this ship. There was a lot of pagans on the ship, a lot of Greek gods that were worshipped on this ship. And he worshipped a unique God whose name 
was Jesus who died for Paul and rose for Paul. And Paul proclaimed him on this ship of 200 and plus people. And so he introduces this God once again in this moment. The God to whom I belong, the God to whom I worship. He sent an angel to me this very night and stood before me. He says in verse 24, and he said, this angel, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Verse 26, but we must run aground on some island. Well, this news is unique. They haven't quite heard any God send an angel with news like this when they are scared to death. Well, look what happens. Verse 27. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And I don't know what that is, by the way. I didn't catch that in the commentary, so I can't help you there. Verse 29 says, And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. You ever been there? (laughs) Just like, oh, I just want this night to end. And uh, so they're just praying for daylight. Verse 30 says, And the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. So notice what's happening. The sailors are pretending to do something to escape for their lives. Well, Paul catches wind of it in verse 31. says, Paul said to the centurion, the guard that's on the ship, and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. I mean, he was giving this prophetic warning that these guys, if they escape, nobody's going to be saved. Verse 32, then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. So he, he stopped something unjust from taking place right in the midst of all this. Verse 33 says, As the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you should have continued in suspense and without food, having take, that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. So Paul is just speaking truth to a scared crew. Now they had some food on board, but they're casting some, bo- some food overboard. Some of them probably can't eat because they're seasick at this point. They probably can't hold food down the way that the ship is going. He says, right now you need to take some food because we're about to go for it here. Verse 35 says, And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. Luke, including himself here in the story, says we were in all 276 persons in the ship. So a couple hundred people now taking food at the instruction and leadership of Paul, pointing them to Jesus. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. All right, now we get to the shipwreck. You guys with me? Everybody's everybody's with me? Okay, here we go. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach. 
and on, on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So I don't know much about sailing, but you can't just roll up onto any shore. You have to plan it just right to survive. Verse 40 says, So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea at the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But, striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. Now, remember, Paul's a prisoner. Paul's instructing. Paul's giving hope. Paul's giving truth. Paul's being an encouragement. And yet now Paul's life is in danger once again. The centurion says, we should probably kill all the prisoners. But, but wishing to save Paul kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. And the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to Land. This is just really interesting. Some are going to swim and go for it. Some are going to end up on the broken pieces of the ship that's now just scattered and tossed about by the surf. Which one would you be? Anybody good swimmers? Would you be a swimmer or would you just kind of arrive on a plank? Anybody here swimmers? <laughs> it's a dumb question. Just curious. I just imagine myself here in the story. What would I do? I'd probably say I'm, a, I'm an okay swimmer, but I'm grabbing a plank and I'm going to make for the beach even though I'm, I'm okay at that. Well, Incredible detail, right? Incredible storm, furious difficulty that they've just encountered here. Well, look what happens in chapter 28. The storm isn't quite over yet. After we were brought safely through, you can just hear them huffing and puffing. They arrive on land, on planks and pieces of the ship. They're exhausted at this point, surely. It's been months that they've been out at sea. They learned that the island was called Malta. Now, one commentator said about the island of Malta, if you were to track where they were going from to Rome, it's like hitting a needle in a haystack of an island. You couldn't have found this place if you had tried. It's a tiny, obscure little island that they, that they hit. Well, they hit it. They're in Malta. And verse 2 says, The native people showed us unusual kindness. Man, that's good news for this crew. That's great news for Paul. I mean, you, you need kindness at this moment. For they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and it was cold. Man, they've experienced such difficulty. Well, verse 3 says, When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire... A viper came out because of the heat and fastened it on his hand. <laughs> Man, I've heard Matt Chandler say, of all the moments where somebody could just say, come on, it would be this right here. I mean, of all the times where you just are going, can, you, you got to be kidding me. We survive this incredible storm. We arrive shipwrecked, barely alive, and we're warming ourselves by this Fire and then and then the snake comes out right out of the fire and fastens it to Paul's hand. Verse four says, "When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, I love this part. They said to one another, 'No doubt this man is a murderer, 
Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Paul overhears their conversation. Verse 5 says, He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. I love this piece of detail. They were waiting for him to swell up. They're just looking at him going, he's about to swell up. We know those snakes on this island. We know what happens when the islanders get bit by that snake. So they're expecting what happens to to them to happen to Paul. Swell up and fall down dead. Quite a contrast here. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. So they're a fickle group. (laughs) They're easily persuaded by the by the circumstances. That happens a lot in, in missions. So there's a lot of storms in this passage. A lot of storms. Multiple storms. Multiple trials. James says, blessed are you when you encounter multiple kinds of trials. The, the Greek there is, is various kinds. Big kinds of trials. Small kinds of trials. Now Paul experiences an actual literal storm, but this is a picture of his whole life. The picture of his whole life. Big kinds of storms. As soon as he gets through one huge kind of storm, it's a, it's just a tiny storm. As soon as he catches a break, as soon as he's warming himself by the fire, a snake jumps out and bites him. Now, fear and discouragement, if you're anything like me, sometimes doesn't come just because of one big trial. You know, the trial that everybody's praying for, everybody knows about that, that one unique trial. Sometimes discouragement comes for me when there's multiple small trials. I mean, for me, it's like, you know, you step into, you know, I've heard it described like, like stepping into a, a hall of carnival mirrors. So, you know, you look at one mirror, and it tells me, I'm, I'm awesome, this awesome Christian, I'm doing everything right, I'm on my way to Rome. The next moment, I'm deserted on Malta, and I'm going to die. I'm going to die on obscure Malta. And that's going to be my life sentence. Each trial I look at, this different mirror that defines who I am. I define myself by these trials, big, small, and various. I look at one mirror, I'm, I'm okay with God because of my surroundings. I mean, look, at the, look at the warmth, the fire, the natives, the friendliness coming my way. Man, God loves me. But then I look at the other mirror God must hate me. The snake just jumped out and it's fastened itself to my hand. You know what I'm talking about? You just, you lose yourself as you seek to define yourself by your trial. One mirror says, I'm a murderer that justice is about to kill. And then I look at another mirror and I'm a God to be worshipped. And if Paul did not know who he was because of the grace of God In the love of Jesus, he would let any circumstance and any person define his identity and define who he is and who he was. Paul's got to be rooted in the midst of trial. He's got to be rooted in who he is in Christ Jesus. He's got to be centered on the gospel. He's got to know who died and rose for him and where his destiny is and not lose his place, not lose his standing. If you were to say, me and Paul, in the midst of all these various storms that you're encountering, what keeps you bold? 
I would be discouraged. I mean, think about the other things that he wrote about. Five times he was beaten by his own people that he loved, that he laid his life down for. Five times, almost killed. Three times he was beaten with rods, he says. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. So this is kind of par for the course for him. He was on frequent journeys. In danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people. Gentiles hated me. Toil, hardship, sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, cold, exposure. What keeps you bold? What keeps you going? Paul, please tell us what keeps you going. Thankfully, he has in other places of Scripture. In 2 Corinthians 5, he says, For the love of Christ. Isn't that interesting? Not just compassion for people. It's the gospel of God's love for me in Christ that compels and controls and moves me forward. It's the conclusion, not just here, but here, that one has died for me. For me. See, he carried around his identity when some people were calling him a prisoner that's just going to die in this cell, and then the natives are bowing down and calling him a god. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me, who loves me, who loves me, who loves me, and gave himself for me. I think the most powerful evangelistic thing that Paul does over and over again as you read his letters, as you see in the book of Acts, is not just the declaration that in Christ God loves you. It's easy to say that, isn't it? It's easy to tell somebody else that God loves you. But the most powerful thing that we can tell somebody that doesn't know Jesus sometimes is that God loves me. When's the last time you just stared up at God and spontaneously said, You, you love me. You love me, God. You love me. You care about me. You are for me and you are not against me. Even in the midst of all these trials, even in the midst of all these storms, through all these many dangers, toils and snares, Grace has brought me safe thus far. Grace will lead me home. Your love is on me and it's not going anywhere. And that controls me. That compels me. That moves me forward in the midst of storms, in the midst of trials. Anybody facing a storm? Anybody experiencing the boat breaking under you? (laughs) Man, that's a trial. What's going to get you through that? The love of God in the gospel for you is going to get you through that. Anybody experiencing a smaller trial? Anybody got a snake dangling from your hand? (laughs) You're like, what is God, what is that about? Well, it's about throwing that snake off into the fire and being reminded of God's love for you, even in that trial, even in that circumstance. It's powerful. It gets us through. It's the only thing that can. Well, notice what the storm does here for Paul. Notice what the shipwreck on this obscure island does. 
There's an opportunity that Paul has. An opportunity in the midst of discouragement. Look at verse 7. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Plubius. Now, I don't know if you're a, a Bible scholar. I'm not a Bible scholar. I don't know if you've ever played the Bible trivia game, but I'll just be honest. I, I until I really studied this passage, I, if you were to say, who's Plubius in the Bible? I, I had a blank stare. I don't know who Plubius is. Never thought much about Plubius. I don't remember Plubius ever being on the flannel board when I was in children's ministry. Notice what happens here with Plubius. There's a chief on the island. Who knew? There's a chief on this island. His name is Plubius. He received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Okay? Verse 8 says... It happened that the father of Plubius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Well, Paul, in the midst of discouragement, seizes an opportunity. He could have been captivated by where he's supposed to be. The angel told him that you're going to arrive safely and stand before Caesar. He could be consumed with the future calling that God has placed on him. And yet, in the midst of discouragement of this sidelined diversion of an island in which he is positioned like a prisoner for three months through winter, he could have just kicked back and said, I'm just on my way to Rome. As soon as it clears up, we're back on a ship and we're heading that way. But notice he takes advantage of the opportunity and the open door that God opens up for him. It says, And Paul visited him and prayed. And putting his hands on him, healed him. Paul risks his neck again. He's got fever. It's a virus. Many of you have viruses this week. You've got colds and flus that hit this church. I'll be honest. There have been many times somebody said, yeah, I've kind of got a cold. And I've taken one big step back and said, hope you're doing good with that. Praying for you. I'm that, I'm that kind of way. Praise God. Praise God. Paul's not that kind of way. He kind of moves forward into the tension and moves towards this man that's lying about to die with dysentery and fever, puts his hands on him and heals him in Jesus' name. And verse 9 says, And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. Notice the revival that's taken place on the island of Malta. God is using this total diversion on the way to where Paul is supposed to be to heal people, to revive people, to spread the gospel to these islanders. And verse 10 says, And they also honored us greatly and were about to, and were about to sail. They put on board whatever we needed. So they provide for them. Sometimes it's opening up our eyes to the people right in front of us. I think we miss opportunities around us when our eyes are not open. Did not Jesus say... 
Do you not say there are yet four months and then the harvest comes? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see what I see. See what I see. The fields are white for harvest. Paul was not consumed with harvest time in the center of the world, which was Rome, which was where he was headed. Because guess what? You know what's happening in Rome? It's the same thing that's happening right there on the island of Malta. It's just messy, hurting, suffering people. We, we can't get too caught up in, in the future or a future platform. We've got to be consumed and caught up with the platform that God's given us right now, with the circle of people that God's put right in front of us. We've got to be faithful with those that are hurting, those that are addicted, those that are abused, those that are shut-ins. Think about the harvest fields right in front of us, the children in front of us. Think about the middle schools and the high schools and the, the families and the couples and the people that are on your block. It's the people right in front of us. It's the people on Malta. God's given us people right in front of us. If we look up, look up and, and see around us the opportunities in the midst of discouragement, in the midst of trials. Well, let's see what happens. Let's close this out. Let's look at verse 11. We've also got to have boldness, not only in the face of, of storms and discouragement, but also in the face of rejection. Verse 11 says, After three months we set sail in a ship that had wintered on the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there we made a circuit and arrived at Rigium. And after one day a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Petulia. I don't think I said that right, but you got it. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. He finally arrives at his destination. And the brothers there, those are believers there, followers of Jesus, when they heard about us, they came as far as the Forum of Apius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. That's, that speaks to his reputation. That speaks to his trustworthiness. Paul's not going to attempt a jailbreak. He's going to live and breathe and take advantage of the platform that God gives him every step of the way. Look at verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Notice, this chain. He's chained. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you. Well, that's, that's encouraging. That's positive. And none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. 
But we desire to hear from you what your views are. You see the platform God's given them? Faithfulness in every platform leads to a greater influence. Look at verse 22. For with regard to this sect, we know that every, everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Now notice Paul's M.O., It doesn't matter who's in front of him. It doesn't matter if it's a native that's in front of him that is caught up in his pagan gods. It doesn't matter if it's a suffering person that's got fever and dysentery. It doesn't matter if if it's a king and his life is on the line. He says, whether in a short time or in a long time, I'm going to take advantage of every opportunity and try to convince you about Jesus. Whoever it is, that's how he... Interacts. Verse 24, and some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Some are convinced, some disbelieve, and that's true today. Some hearing me, you're convinced. Some hearing me, you disbelieve. I want to encourage you, I want to ask you, encourage you, urge you to believe. And yet, I can't make you. Paul couldn't make you. His audience either. Verse 25 says, And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal, heal them. So Paul speaks from Isaiah 6 right here and he recognizes that there will be some who believe, who believe in Jesus, his love for them, his death and his resurrection for them and yet there's going to be some that disbelieve. They're going to allow their eyes to grow dull, their hearts to harden And they're not going to turn to Jesus by faith and be healed. Verse 29 says, Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. So here's the thing. The boldness that comes through the gospel helps us in the face of rejection because we know that some will believe. Some are going to believe. Paul saw over and over again, in the midst of rejection, there's always some that believe. There's always some, when we scatter the seed and we don't do that sparingly, but generously, a harvest is going to come up. And that's how we overcome struggle. That's how we overcome bitterness. That's how we overcome our fears. Is this going anywhere? Is this conversation going anywhere? Is this relationship going anywhere? It is. It is going somewhere. Some are going to believe. Some will reject you, but not everybody. He says in 2 Corinthians 3, since we have such a hope, I hope in the gospel, 
a hope in God's love for us in the midst of difficulties and storms and discouragements. We are very bold. And that's how he ends his life. This is how Luke ends this book. Verse 30 says, He lived there two whole years at his own expense, welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's how the book starts and that's how the book ends. It's boldness. The gospel of God's love makes Paul bold, makes the early church bold, makes ordinary people like you and like me bold. Now let me close with this. What would happen in, in your life, just think about yourself for just a second. What would happen if you determined, like this early church, like Paul himself, to not just take a sip from the well of grace, but to go back to the cellar and get the vintage stuff? Go to the well of God's grace and love for you this year and drink and drink and drink and drink and drink. Where you could say with 1 John, I have come to know, like this early church, I have come to know and believe, not just here, right here, the love that God has for me. Well, I can think about in my own life, probably what would happen, would I, I'd probably experience a lot more joy a lot less pressure and guilt. And then I'd get busy taking some risks. That's what you want to multiply. That's what this is about. It's multiplying the life of God in us and the joy that others are going to experience. God, help us not multiply pressure, not multiply guilt. That goes nowhere. That wins nobody. Take this series and wrap it around your heart and and ask yourself, as a church, what crazy, bold thing would we do to tell others about Jesus? Specifically, if we knew beyond any shadow of a doubt Jesus was with us, I mean, if we just knew that. Jesus not only commissioned us, but he's with us. If we had every resource the early church had, and we were certain it would never fail in God's eyes. No matter how much it failed in the world's eyes, it would never fail in God's eyes. What could happen over the next couple months and the next couple years? Man, I get excited when I think about that. The personal joy I could experience, the joy our church could be in an experience of, the lives that could be changed, the, the freedom that people could start to walk in the churches that we could plant, what God could do among the nations. God is is not limited and he is more than willing to overflow in our hearts with joy. So if you could all stand with me, we're going to close with, with prayer. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.